So what we're looking at this morning is Mark 11, 1 through 11. Uh, you can follow along on the screen, on the screen, or if you've got it with you, uh, or if you just want to listen, that, that would be great too. So uh, Mark 11, 1 through 11, before we read it and hear it, let's pray. Oh God, as we were just reminded uh, through song, your, your word is powerful and creative and generative and and that's what we need. We need to hear a word from you. And so in these next few moments, as we, as we hear your word, we ask that, that our hearts would be open and that our minds would be open, that you would soften us, that you would, that you would help us be ready. And we ask that your word would do something new in us, that you would create something new, that you would change us, even if it's in just some small way. Help us to understand you better, your heart more deeply. We trust you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Mark 11, one through 11. Hear these words. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a, at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Like, Hosanna with gusto. In the highest. Hosanna with, with everything we have. Hosanna from the deepest depths of our souls. Hosanna. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. We will go that far. So, such a good story, right? Again, I say that every week, but whatever. Um, I'm not much of a social media guy. 
Like, I'm not on Facebook all that much, except for Sunday morning. Hi, everybody. It's good to be here with you. Uh, I don't spend a whole lot of time on there. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on Instagram. I don't TikTok. Not me. I love it if you do. That's really cool. Sometimes, occasionally, I, I see some TikToks, and I think it's neat. Um, so I don't spend a whole lot of time on social media, but the one that seems to work best for me and my personality, I guess, I don't know exactly why, it, it's Twitter. So Twitter, you can follow whoever you want, and you, you don't have to engage if you don't want to. You can just sort of follow along. You can learn from people who think differently than you do, and it's really fantastic. Uh, so I like Twitter. It seems to also be uh, one of the best ways to sort of keep up on what's, what's happening in the world in real time, because Twitter keeps track of these things. If enough people are talking about a certain thing at the same time, uh, Twitter says that this thing, this idea, this whatever is trending right? It's trending in the world. Like, for instance, if there's an earthquake that happens, that's probably going to be trending on Twitter. Uh, if there's another mass shooting or another horrible thing that happens in the world, it's going to trend on Twitter. Uh, or if something really good and fantastic happens, that also trends on Twitter. For instance, it's March Madness, right? Uh, and this happens every year during the NCAA tournament. If a two-seed is getting beat up by a 15 seed, it's gonna trend on Twitter. Like when Oral Roberts did its thing to Ohio State last weekend, that was trending on Twitter. Towards the end of the game, it was like people were talking about it. Or when Loyola was beaten up on Illinois, like that started trending on Twitter. And people were talking about how amazing it was. And even their center, the, the guy who plays for Loyola, nobody ever heard of this guy before. In fact, I can't remember his name right now. Cameron Crutwig, right? Nobody knew who this dude was until all of a sudden he was tearing it up against Illinois, right? And people started talking about how the dude didn't even look like a basketball player, whatever that means, but he was just killing it on the floor. And his name, all of a sudden, he became a sensation and he was trending on Twitter. It's fantastic. So that's why I like Twitter so much, right? You can sort of join in on what everybody's talking about. You feel like you're, you feel like you're in it. You don't, have to, you don't have to contribute if you don't want to, but you feel like you're a part of the buzz. You feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself because you see what's trending. Now, the reason I bring all of that up is because well, if the people in and around Jerusalem 2,000 years ago would have had Twitter, well, guess what? On this particular day, Twitter would have been blown up. Totally. This scruffy-looking rabbi from Nazareth, he, his name is Jesus. He's riding into Jerusalem on, of all things, a donkey. Like, this thing would have been trending big time. You've been able to, to search hashtags, and it would have been like, hashtag Hosanna, Hashtag Jesus saves. Hashtag sweet donkey. You would have been able to, to see like selfies of people, people taking selfies with the donkey in the background, or you would have seen videos of this whole thing happen because on this day, Jesus was at the height of his popularity. He was trending. So good. So you see, it was almost time for them to celebrate this, this Jewish festival called the Passover. And and that means that at this point in time, when Jesus was entering in, uh, according to ancient historian Josephus, there would have been like 2.5 million extra people in Jerusalem at the time. And they were all there to celebrate 
liberation. They were all there to celebrate the exodus, celebrating the liberation from slavery in Egypt so many years before. And the people in this parade, guess what? They're not the religious elite. They're not Roman officials. They're not Roman soldiers. They're just normal, everyday, hardworking, what we would think of as blue-collar people, just normal people welcoming, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. Right? And these people would have heard stories about Jesus, like word was spreading, things were buzzing, stories about how he taught about this new reality called the kingdom of God. And how God is putting the world back together again. And how God is closer than you ever imagined. They would have heard stories about how Jesus was sort of embodying this new movement, this new reality of the kingdom of God. And God putting things back together again. Stories about how Jesus was healing people who were possessed by unclean spirits. Stories about how Jesus brought this little girl from death to life, stories about how Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish and fed like 15,000 people with them, stories about how he walked on water, stories about how he calmed a storm with just the sound of his voice. They would have heard stories about how he helped lame people walk again, paralyzed people move again, and blind people see again. In fact, there he is right over there, Bartimaeus, remember him from a couple of weeks ago, but he's following Jesus now, and he's clearly not blind. So we can understand they would have had these stories swirling around them. We can understand why this crowd is sort of worked up into a frenzy, right? And some of these people were even treating Jesus as if he were a king, spreading their cloaks on the ground so that his donkey could walk on them, waving palm branches in the air. They were shouting at the top of their lungs, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna with gusto. Hosanna with everything we have. Hosanna from the deepest parts of ourselves. Hosanna starts with Hosanna. It ends with Hosanna. This thing that they're shouting, Hosanna, is an interesting word. It seems to be the combination of two Hebrew words that when translated into, into our language means this, save us. Or we beseech thee to save us. Or just simply save now. Save us now, Hosanna. I can't help but think that that's what this story is all about. Salvation. Hosanna. Save now. So I think it would be a good idea right now for us to, to just spend a few moments, the rest of our time really together, just thinking about that reality. Thinking about salvation. Because we have this idea of salvation so ingrained in us. It's been given to us, passed down to us, and not all of it, not all of it is bad, but I think in a lot of ways it's sort of been truncated. It's like being cut off. Like we've gotten part of it, but not the whole thing. Because here's the deal. If we were to gather sort of a, a random collection of Jesus people, Christians, from 
from America, especially here in America, and we were to ask them a very particular question, I think we would get a very particular kind of answer. So if we ask them the question, what does Jesus save us from? I think we would get answers like this. Jesus saves us from our sins. Have you heard that before? Good. I love it. Right? What does Jesus save us from? Our sins. Okay, we could talk about that for a while. I love it. That's interesting. What else does, what does Jesus save us from? I think some people would say Jesus saves us from hell. Okay, that's an interesting thought too, and we could talk about that for a really long time, but behind those two, those would probably be the most common answers that people would give us. Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus saves us from, from hell. But behind those two ideas is another sort of idea. It's this idea that Jesus saves us from our sins so that one day we would live with God forever. Good, beautiful. Jesus saves us from hell so that one day we can live with God in heaven, right? Again, all good, good, good. But it's all very focused on life after this life. All of that is very focused on life after death. And if that becomes our strong or only focus around this idea of salvation, guess what? We are missing a whole bunch. I can tell you this, the people who are in that parade shouting, Hosanna in the highest, guess what? Do you think they were thinking about heaven? They weren't thinking about heaven. These people shouting, save us now, Hosanna, with everything we have. They weren't thinking about life after death. No, no, no. These people were thinking about, these, these people were thinking about the fact that there's a foreign army in their city, occupation. They had no control. They were thinking about all of the ways in which they were being oppressed here, now, in this moment. Right? That's what they were thinking about. Hosanna, save us. Save us from all of that now. Change things in our situation here in the present now. Liberation is what we would love to see. Hosanna in the highest. And if we start thinking about salvation like that, oh my goodness, well, that changes a whole bunch of stuff. Not only is salvation about life after this life, it's also about and includes the present, the here, the now, the this moment we're sitting in immediately, right now. So in light of that, I have another question. If God really is in it to win it with us, do you believe that? I believe that. If God really is closer than we ever imagined before, if God, if God really is intimately involved in our lives in the here and now, if God really is paying close attention to each of us and all of us together, then what would we want God to save us from now? Why would we want to shout, Hosanna in the highest, save us now. Why would we want to shout that now? And if we answer that question, if we're honest about it, the answers we would give would bubble up from 
from sort of the deepest parts of ourselves, the answers would start to rise up from the most vulnerable and weakest places in our lives. God, save me. Save me from my anger. Save now. God, save me from cancer. Now. Save me from my addiction. Save me, Jesus, from my anxiety. Save me from my depression. Save me from my loneliness. Save me from my deep and profound sense of inadequacy. Save me from my insurmountable pile of debt. Save me from waking up at two in the morning and staring at the ceiling, wondering what the heck I'm doing here anyway. Save me. Save me from arrogance. Save me from being part of a a system that favors the wealthy and the well-connected who then prey on the poor and the weak. Save us all from systemic racism. Save us all from this dangerous idea that if we disagree about something, suddenly we're enemies. Save us from our inability to sit with one another and talk to each other. Save us from this freaking virus. Save us. Save us. Say, oh my gosh, we could be here all day. I'm just getting started. Save now. Thinking about salvation like that, salvation that includes the here and now, this present moment, and now pushes us to ask other questions. Questions like, does God respond to our cries? Can we just ask questions like this and be okay with it? Does God respond to our cries? Does God do anything to save us? And these are dangerous questions because what we get from God might not feel exactly like salvation to us, right? Because that's where this story is headed, right? The people here wanted salvation, a particular kind of salvation, And by salvation, they meant freedom from Roman oppression. But when it became obvious that Jesus wasn't that kind of Messiah, that kind of Savior, their celebration vanished. They shouted, save us! But then when Jesus went about it in a way that they didn't recognize, when he didn't pick up a sword, when he didn't gather an army, those are all the things that we would do. When he didn't do any of those things... Instead, he went and had supper with his closest friends and prayed in a garden. And at that point, Jesus started trending in the opposite direction, the wrong direction, and their shouts of Hosanna turned into cries of crucify him, which they did. So what does it look like to be saved by God now? What does that look like? I don't know about you, but I think these are stimulating, thought-provoking questions, and I hope they are for you too. And I think to answer that question, what does it look like for God to save us here now in this moment? I think it's helpful for us to think about the larger story of Jesus, God in the flesh, God 
with us? I mean, sometimes God does save us in big, dramatic, healing ways. But sometimes God saves us by just being with us. How does God save us by just being with us? Well, I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) But I do think that part of being saved involves a God who is willing to step into the messiest parts of life with us. Jesus goes to Jerusalem knowing what's ahead, knowing he's going to die, knowing the cross is waiting. God enters into our pain, into our sorrow, into our grieving, experiences it with us. God, right there, in the middle of the worst of it, with us. He enters into Jerusalem purposefully, knowing what's ahead. He enters our pain, experiences it with us. God, right there, in the middle of the mess. I have to believe that. I have to. have to believe that because right now my dad has cancer and watching him and my mom battle that and chemo God isn't there in those moments. I have to believe that. God, in the middle of all the mess and pain, there with us. I've talked about this a few times. But back in seminary, Renee and I went through a traumatic experience. We were nine or 10 weeks pregnant and we suddenly lost our baby through miscarriage, and you know, that's one of those things that uh, not only are you, you, you lose a, a life, you, you, you also have all these hopes and dreams that for 10 weeks you've been dreaming and hoping, and, and uh, all of those are, are gone too. You hold on to them for a while because you can't quite let them go, even though you know that they won't be realized, and yet... You hold on to them. It's, it's, it's very hard. Grieving and mourning we were. And I'll, I'll never forget, there were people who showed up. Like, I remember my, my Uncle Marlon and my Aunt Sally showed up, and they, they came to sit with us. And they didn't say very much at that time. They didn't, they, they just listened. And they cried with us, and they prayed with us. And my, my uncle shared part of this this Psalm 56, where, where it talks about how God keeps count of my tossings, collects my tears in a bottle. God is that close. Close enough to catch and collect my tears in a bottle. I also remember a guy named Dick Doden. He was a, 
a pastor at the church where I was interning, and he came too. And, and he, again, he didn't say much. He was just there, and he listened to us, and he cried with us, and he prayed with us, and he gave us a, a prayer shawl that someone at church had knitted, and it wasn't even very, knitted very well, but, but it was sacred, and it was holy. Three representatives of Jesus right there with us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our pain. And it's hard to describe the power of those moments. You feel sort of, well, you feel sort of saved. You know what that's like, right? To have someone in your life during a time of great need is to experience a bond. It's to experience a a presence that can only be described as thick, heavy, holy, sacred. And I think that this, at least in part, is what it means to be saved by God now, in this moment. See, God isn't often some far-off place we call heaven. God comes We call that incarnation. God steps out of wherever it is God calls home and stands with us in the really awkward, painful places to experience them with us. Sometimes God answers our cries of, Hosanna, save us, in some some pretty unexpected ways. Sometimes we have to look a little harder to see them, and sometimes it's only in the looking back that we can actually see that God was with us the whole time. Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing what was ahead, knowing the mess that humanity would create for him. He went straight into it. He went into Jerusalem, and the people cried, Hosanna. There are people all over the place right now crying out, Hosanna. Save us. There are people in this world who experience this world very differently than we do, and they are crying, Hosanna. Are we listening to those people? Are we willing to enter into their pain? There are people in this world who feel like their lives don't matter as much as most of ours. They are crying, Hosanna. They're in Jerusalem right now. We're followers of Jesus. Are we listening to their cries? And are we willing to go to Jerusalem to enter into their pain too? If we're not willing to go there, then we're just not following Jesus very well. Jesus entered into our pain. He went to Jerusalem. Jesus has entered into my pain, into your pain. He's shown up for you there in so many different ways. Now it's our turn. We get to show up for each other. We get to show up for others in this world who are hurting. And when we do, you know what we're doing? We're participating in this thing we call salvation.
in the here and in the now, and it is holy. It is thick. It's sacred. Let's pray.